Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for focused staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I am joined by Sarah De Silva. Sarah is a specialist on the formation team. She's in her fifth year in Focus, and she served at Columbia and the University of Pennsylvania. She's married to Focus's retreat director, Niru, and they are expecting their first baby this year. So thanks for coming on today, Sarah. One of the things that I was thinking about recently is just how powerful stories are. And one of the most motivating things in the spiritual life is to hear stories of the saints. They inspire us to want to try to be like them and pursue God like they did. And so I wanted to bring you on today to talk about somebody who's not a saint yet, but hopefully he will be, Takashi Nagai. Now, he is one of my favorite servants of God, and I know that he is a big friend of yours, too. So I'm wondering if, to start off here, can you first tell us his story? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I love uh, Takashi Nagai. I, everything I know about him, I learned from the book A Song for Nagasaki by Paul Glynn. So it's a great book. Definitely recommend. And Takashi is, he's from Japan and was raised Shinto. But he became an atheist, and he was kind of a stereotypical intellectual atheist who really relied on science. He loves medicine, wanted to be a doctor, and he really loved anything that was observable, anything that was factual. And the things that he said he believed in are science, humanity, meaning like the progress of humanity and the good of humanity, taking care of humanity as a doctor, and Japan. He was super patriotic. He really valued Japan's history and Japan's culture, poetry. And so, yeah, he was very patriotic. And so when he thought about being Shinto, he he did find it a bit silly or superstitious, but he still saw it as Japanese. And so he didn't think anything of it if someone chose to be Shinto, because at least it was thoroughly Japanese. And he actually saw Christianity, on the other hand, as ridiculous, because why would any self-respecting Japanese person ever subscribe to a religion that is antithetical to Japanese culture. And so, yeah, the thought of worshiping a foreign god really angered him, and he did not like Christianity. And And that was a very common attitude in Japan at the time, wasn't it? And even further back. Yeah, and even still today, probably. I mean, we, I think we, when we think about our culture, it's very important to us. And so any religion that seems not a part of our culture, it it seems like it couldn't possibly be a part of us. Um, I mean, many, many Americans don't think about Eastern religion. So why would someone in the East think about what they view as a Western religion? And that was definitely uh, Nagai's perspective. This all started to change, though, when his mother suddenly passed away. He was not expecting it, but he did get to spend a few moments with her before she passed. And when he saw her eyes... He was just so struck by this internal statement that he felt she was telling him. He really believed that through her eyes, that she was saying to him, I am going to live on. Like that my spirit isn't actually finished here. That beyond my body, there is something more. And this wrecked him. He (laughs) was like, how could this be possible? And he wondered, you know, is, is this a truth that is deeper than all of the truth I have been 
exploring my life. Like, could this be truer than medicine, truer than science? Because it felt like it was in his heart. But then his mind would rationalize it. And he thought, no, 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 I, I'm just upset that my mother has died. And I'm, I'm simply being sentimental. It's not fascinating that somebody who has put so much trust in science could suddenly come to the realization that science is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that is such a powerful message to our own culture because mm-hmm. we're always hearing in the media and in other places, you have to trust the science. Yeah. And in our culture, we all need to recognize that science is not enough. And I think that you get to that point when something dramatic happens, like mm-hmm. a death. Mm-hmm. And for Takashi to experience the death of his mother and to come to the belief or at least the hint of a belief that there might be a life beyond this, it's no wonder that you say erect him. Yeah, yeah, it was radical for him to even consider it. And he very quickly tried to dismiss it, but it stayed in his heart and he couldn't quite understand why, like as a man of science, why he wanted to believe that this was true, that there was something pulling him towards this truth. And he, of course, you know, he didn't convert right away, but he started to become more critical of his professors. And he noticed that the way that his professors and the doctors he was observing sometimes treated the people as bodies instead of as people. Mm. And he started to notice just the way that they would talk about death and the way they talked about bodies felt dehumanizing. And it impacted him now that his mother had passed away because that's who he kept thinking of when he went to school and learned about death and the body and sickness. And so he he started wrestling a lot more, started questioning a lot more. And he eventually came to the writings of Blaise Pascal. Now, despite being a great scientist, Nagai also loved poetry. And so he was really struck by Pascal, who was a French mathematician and scientist and poet, but also a Catholic. And his writings are filled with Catholic thought and, and they really <laughs> struck Nagai and he, he didn't really know what to do with a lot of the things Pascal was writing about. I recall a Nagai recalling that Pascal wrote something to the lines of anyone who relies on reason alone is a fool. And Nagai thought about this and wondered, is this true? And so he wrestled a lot, continued reading, continued writing, and this eventually led him to decide that he wanted to explore Christianity, but he did not want to talk to a priest. He was not ready for that at all. And so he decided instead to board with a Catholic family, the Moriyama family. And so now he's studying at university still, he's wrestling with his faith, and he's now living with this very committed Catholic family. And the way that they lived their life was so different than what he was expecting. He would notice that, you know, he's in Nagasaki and when the cathedral bells would ring, everyone would stop what they were doing to pray the Angelus, even the children. And he noticed that the family uh, prayed constantly. And even when they got sick, they surrendered everything they had to, to Jesus. And he had never seen such surrender like that before. It sounds like he was almost conducting scientific experiments and data <laughs> yes. on these Christian believers, watching them and observing them. Yeah. I love that application of his science background. Yeah, that's exactly like it was like. He he had like a hypothesis. He wanted to see, could this way of life actually be true and good and beautiful? And slowly he was introduced to, yes, maybe, maybe it can be. 
Um, another important figure in the Moriyama family is their daughter, their adult daughter, a Midori, whom he fell in love with. And he thought, you know, I will never be good enough for this woman. Um, but he was really struck by her. On the flip side, Midori thought, you know, he'll never be interested in me. But she also was falling in love with him. And she was praying constantly for his conversion. I really think a big part of his uh, conversion is due to Midori's prayers. And she was praying not for a spouse. She was, she was praying for his conversion, thinking that she would never marry him, that she would marry someone else most likely. She just had that Christian love and wanted his soul to be saved. Yeah, exactly. Her father, uh, Mr. Moriyama, he uh, said to his family when Nagai moved in, you know, this is an act of God and we need to pay attention to this. And that it's actually our job to be the face of Christ to him. And she took that very seriously and prayed for him daily throughout, throughout his, his life, long before they ever got together, which, yeah, spoiler alert, they do, they do get together. <laughs> well, and that's such a beautiful way to see God's divine providence. And this isn't just a university student who needs to board somewhere, but this is a soul who God has sent to us, and we need to witness to him about Christ. Yeah, and I love reading in the book because there are moments like, Nagai is very human. There are times where the Moriyama family overwhelm him a little bit with their faith and their zeal. We've never done you know? that. Yeah, no, no missionary has ever overwhelmed a student. <laughs> but he's honest about it. And there are parts even in Catholicism that he wrestles with that seem foreign to him. Like what? Like Latin. That was a big one for him. Going to Mass in Latin, to, to him, it was like, not exactly like a heathen language, but it, it seemed so foreign, so Western, so mm -hmm. not Japanese. And, and so it was kind of difficult for him to enter into the Mass right away. Eventually, he came to find it beautiful and, you know, something that was universal amongst Christians. But at first, it was a little a little off-putting for yeah. him. It yeah, was hard he's for still him. wondering, can this be Japanese? Exactly, yeah. And he, so he did, he did start going to mass. He started to read the catechism. Midori actually got it for him. He started reading the Bible and he continued to read uh, Pascal's writings. And Pascal would talk about the importance of prayer and the importance of mass. And so he, he went to kind of continue to prove this hypothesis, you know, is what Pascal is saying about prayer true? And is faith a gift that I can ask God for? And so he's, he started to do that and he, started to meet with a priest at the cathedral, started asking all of his questions. He was finally confident enough to talk to a priest. And slowly but surely, he realized that although there were differences, of course, like Latin, that he wasn't uh, familiar with, there were some differences between his culture and Catholicism. He realized that there was actually a lot of overlap, whereas before he thought there was no way that he could be both Japanese and a Christian. But slowly, he found all of these overlaps, such as uh, the importance of nature. In the Shinto religion, nature is very important. And so he saw a lot of beauty in the creation accounts and in the church's writings about our stewardship of nature. And so he started to see these overlaps. And when he realized that he could, in fact, be both Japanese and Christian, he, he was ready to convert. On the exciting side, he married Midori and they had four children. Um, on the less exciting side, he, well, it is both exciting and sad, I guess. He started working with x-ray machines. So that was actually before he converted and after. And at this time in Japan, there was no safety net, no, no precautions for anyone working with x-ray machines. And so the scientific community 
viewed anyone who worked on x-ray machines as a martyr for science and for the good of humanity. And so Nagai got into this before he was Catholic, and he knew that if he worked with x-ray machines, he would save many, many people's lives, but it might come at the expense of his own. And then once he got married, he, he actually questioned this, you know, should I keep working with this device that could ultimately, you know, end my life earlier than if I didn't work with it? And he spoke with Midori about it, his wife now at this point. And she said, whether you live or you die, do it for the glory of God. And uh, I know, <laughs> just incredible faith she has. So he continued to work with this x-ray machine to save lives. And that ended up giving him leukemia. Not only did he get leukemia, but he also survived the bombing of Nagasaki in World War II. And so if you read this book, A Song for Nagasaki, you learn not just about uh, Nagai's life, but about the, the history of the war and how it impacted Japan, which is just fascinating. And so he, he survived an atomic bomb. He saw the cathedral just totally decimated, thousands of people dead. And, and his wife also died in the bombing. He survived. His children survived. They were in the country at the time with their grandparents. Um, but he had to bury, bury his wife among all of the other survivors. Let's pause there for a minute. So I know that it's a common phrase even today uh, as they are remembering the victims of the bombings in Japan. They call it screaming Hiroshima and praying Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting difference between the two cities. Nagasaki is known to be one of the Christian hearts of Japan. There are a great deal of Catholics in Nagasaki, including that's where Father Maximilian Kolbe's community yes. was. Yes, I had no idea until I read the book. Yeah. Yeah. And so even today, there's this understanding that the people in Nagasaki look at the bombing in a prayerful way. Yes. Obviously, it was a horrific event. War is always horrific. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a completely different attitude between mm -hmm. those two cities. Mm -hmm. And one of the things when I read the book that really stood out to me is Takashi's in this bombing. His children were away at their grandparents' house, mm -hmm. so they were safe. But Midori was killed in the blast. Mm -hmm. And for two days, he wasn't able to get to the house because he was in the hospital when it was bombed. And when they cleared away the rubble, he started helping victims in the hospital to get out, took them to a field, cared for them. And he even got a flag and uh, the Japanese flag is a red circle on a white background. And he got uh, a white background and dripped his own blood on it to show the flag because he still loved Japan. And then two days later, he went to his house to try to find Midori. And all he found were some of her charred bones. And one of those was the bones of her hand holding her rosary. So powerful. And I remember reading that he started to pray and say, Midori, please forgive me for the ways that I didn't live up to being to a good husband for you. And he said he felt that uh, she responded and that she had said, no, forgive me for the ways that I failed you. Oh. And he thought, even in her death, <laughs> she's totally selfless. Yeah. But that was, that was just such a powerful story to me. And it says that after he buried her, he was just filled with gratitude for her life mm -hmm. and that his children survived. Mm -hmm. He was filled with gratitude to God, even in the midst of such terrible suffering. 
I don't know if I could do that. I might be like the people in Hiroshima who they say were very bitter and screaming over this terrible tragedy. And that's completely understandable from a human perspective. But Takashi and these marvelous Christians in Nagasaki had an eternal perspective. Yeah, it's it's wild to to read his words about the bombing because he you you do get a lot of graphic details about what happened. I mean, reading it was difficult for me to realize just the death and destruction that occurred to so many innocent people. And yet he found God's providence in it. He actually spoke, he was invited to speak to the congregation. You know, their church is destroyed. And they asked for him to speak about what happened. And in his speech, he compared Nagasaki to the sacrificial lamb, the innocent lamb that has been led to slaughter. And he fully believed that it would be only a miracle that would lead the emperor to surrender. And he felt that that miracle came from their suffering. And so he directly saw that, you know, the suffering, this innocent suffering of Nagasaki had a direct correlation with the end of the war and peace, which is just an incredible perspective. And I think that a lot of people who heard that message, especially at that time, rejected it. They're like, oh, you're crazy. And yet he saw that he saw in the suffering people of Japan, Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. And he knew that their offering was accepted by the father. And I think that's a message that we really need to hear today because so often I talk to the students or missionaries or even faithful Catholics, whoever it might be. And when they're going through suffering, they tend to feel abandoned by God and they feel like God's providence in their lives has run out. And yet you see in Takashi's story that, no, this is actually all part of his divine providence and you're closer to him than ever before. It's, so beautiful. Yeah, reading it was really eye-opening for me because I, I fall into that. I was just thinking today, preparing for this, all of the ways I complained this weekend over the tiniest sufferings that I encountered. And that was not Nagai's way of life at all. He surrendered everything to the Lord. And even after he survived the atomic bomb, he still had leukemia and he continued to suffer for the rest of his his time on earth. He had a slow, very painful death, and that left him bedridden for a lot of the end of his life. But he took that as an opportunity to be a contemplative. He started praying constantly and doing research constantly to help the scientific community. And he wrote, he he is a prolific writer. He has tons, tons of writings that you can read. And even in his dying moments, he, instead instead of dying at home where he was perhaps more comfortable, he decided to have his body moved to the university hospital so that people could study his death and so that other people would not experience what he did, that people could learn from, from him. The entire time during his illness, he saw himself as a researcher and he researched his own illness so that other people might be able to have a better quality of life or even survive this, you know, survive cancer in the future. And so at the end of his life, he, he was brought to the university hospital where they could learn what was going on with leukemia in its final stages. And he also was surrounded by family. He got to receive the Eucharist. And he, he died just you know with a rosary in one hand and the family crucifix in the other. And his final words were, you know, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. And then he said, pray, please pray. Just an incredible, incredible life. 
Yeah, there's so much there to be inspired by. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, you know, the saints touch us in different ways. What is it about Takashi's life that most inspires you? There's so much. I, I think the biggest thing that really strikes me is, I think, one, just how human his conversion was. I think it's so relatable to today. The fact that he he didn't have one miraculous moment where he suddenly converted it was a long process of his intellect and his heart kind of battling it out a little bit until they finally could come together. And I think that's really beautiful for us today since, you know, we are surrounded by a lot of people who focus solely on science um, or focus solely on the heart. And I think his story really shows how you need both. So that really inspires me, just just his conversion story itself. And then I'm I'm really inspired by the way that he dealt with redemptive suffering as we've been talking about, um, I want to share a passage from what he actually said to the congregation in Nagasaki after the bombing. He said to them, we must walk the way of reparation, ridiculed, whipped, punished for our crimes, sweaty and bloody. But we can turn our minds, eyes to Jesus, carrying his cross up the hill of Calvary. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us be thankful that Nagasaki was chosen for the whole burnt sacrifice. Let us be thankful that through this sacrifice, peace was granted to the world and religious freedom to Japan. That just gets me every time. Because <laughs> I, I don't view suffering that way most of the time. Most of the time I'm upset about suffering. And so to, to read this this story of incredible suffering and to see the way, I mean, he's, he's sounds like Job, you know, just he's lost everything and he's able to still thank God, not in spite of what he's lost, but he thanks him for the suffering. I'm not there yet in my faith, but man, I really want to be one day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that that above all in his life, is an example of heroic virtue. Absolutely. So I've been learning a lot about canonization processes recently because our focus alumna, Michelle DePong, is a servant of God. And that's where Takashi is. He's a servant of God. So that means that someone's life is being investigated by the Vatican to see if there is heroic virtue there. And if there's heroic virtue and they have a miracle attributed to their intercession, then they eventually can become beatified and then they need another miracle and then they're canonized. But this question of heroic virtue, the Vatican actually rejects a lot of cases just because people will say, oh, this, this person lives such a virtuous life. And yes, they did, but it has to be heroic. It has mm -hmm. to be above and beyond. And I think we see that in Takashi's life, such immense suffering having his wife killed in an atomic bombing and seeing 70,000 people in his own city, many of his own family and his friends and people he didn't even know, but who were part of his city were immediately killed by the bomb. And yet he's talking about forgiveness and even gratitude. That to me is a perfect example of heroic virtue. I completely agree. It's, it's incredibly inspiring. I, I hope I pray that the Lord will bless me with such faith because it is, it is beautiful the way he views suffering and the way he surrendered his entire life, whether good or bad, he surrendered it all to God. Now, what do you think is the main lesson that our focus community could learn from Takashi's example? 
I think certainly this theme of suffering is, you know, important for everyone. But I, I think there is also another point that his life brings up that is particularly helpful for missionaries. And I think that's having the openness to see that Catholicism is universal. I think as missionaries, it can be really easy to focus on our own stories and our own experiences of Catholicism. I know that was certainly the case for me, I think especially as a cradle Catholic. I think I sang Taste and See from the moment I was born through college because that was just the song that everyone sang, no matter Every what Sunday. church. Yeah, no matter what church you went to, what parish, Newman Center, everyone knew Taste and See. But if you're a missionary, you might go to another state. And for me, they didn't sing Taste and See at Columbia. And, you know, that was new and different. And that's that's kind of a small, silly example. But I, I think that that gets to the heart of what I'm trying to say and what Nagai's life really demonstrates you know, which is that it's really easy for us to see our experience of Catholicism as universal, and we expect it to look the same way all over the world, whether that's through the art, the music, the prayers, etc. And for, you know, Takashi, this, this idea of Christianity being Western was, he did, you know, that was a stumbling block for him. He did not want to be Christian because he thought he had to be Western to be Christian. And so I think that's a really good reminder for us as missionaries that we have to step outside of ourselves and step outside of our own experiences. And instead of focusing on the way we want Jesus to look in art or the songs we want to sing or our expressions of prayer, it's important that instead of looking at what we value, we have to ask ourselves, you know, this is a soul in front of me. What's their culture? What do they value? What's important to them? And how does Catholicism fulfill all of those values and desires that they have so that they can feel comfortable stepping in to this universal faith. That is so true. Well, I hope all of our listeners will read this book. I will put a link to it in the comments section. And I want to encourage everybody to ask for Takashi's intercession uh, for any little thing in your life that you would like his intercession for. But especially if you have any miraculous needs, we need to get him a miracle because I firmly believe that he's going to be a saint someday. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. Okay.